everyone, don't forget to go to rebrandedsafety.com to get yourself some cool-ass merch. Get yourself sweatshirts, t-shirts, mugs, tote bags, and you can support us a little bit more. And the best of it is you wouldn't even know you're supporting a health and safety channel because it just looks cool, man. Don't forget, rebrandedsafety.com. Get yourself some merch, peeps. Safe. What's up everybody, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. We're here to rebrand health and safety. We're here to challenge the perception, challenge those over the top practices, and we do that by providing free how-to videos on YouTube and in-depth conversations with a myriad of amazing people on this podcast. So if you're new here, don't forget to hit subscribe or like or follow, or depending on what the button is on your platform. Let's get into today's podcast then. I say on this podcast all the time that health and safety is all about the people. Just focus on your people. Soft skills are all about communicating and influencing people. But what if the way you're communicating or trying to influence is not even going to be heard because you don't actually understand that person you're talking to? In this episode, we've got two guests that are going to help us solve that problem. They're calling in from America. Um, one's a TEDx talker, which we'll link in the description below if you want to find out some more. She's also a Forbes Coaches Council contributor, serves on the Council of Trustees for South Dakota University. She's a Mensa PhD, scientist, certified project management professional, global citizen, choral singer. Choral? Choral? Choral singer? Choral. She's a singer, and that is guest number one, Dr. Rachel Headley. And Rachel's partner in crime is a ranch kid from Western South Dakota, years of experience through leading through transformation, from major changes in highly regulated industries to managing through $100 million acquisitions. And her name is Meg. She's also an amazing person. She's refined her skills in understanding people through change and her studies in organizational psychology and mastery, mastery in leadership concepts, ensuring your people are taken care of, and that's Meg Mank. So, we've got two amazing people. They've come together to create essentially what is a framework, and that's called the IX Leadership. I'm not going to describe and explain what IX leadership sounds like. They've got a book, which we'll link in the description as well. You can, there's loads of content that they've done, um, and we'll link absolutely everything in the description as well. You can get their book on Audible as well. I've got it, been listened to in it. Great book, read out by them as well. Nice touch. They're just two awesome, lovely people. Bear in mind, uh, it's first thing in the morning over there, um, so, one of them is not a morning person. I'll let you work out who that is. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We're in a pressure regime of health and safety regulations. Six, eight, nine, 
huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Meg, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Why don't you start off first by just kind of introducing yourself and how we kind of came to where we are now, how you came to where you are now, backgrounds and bits and bobs like that. Why don't you start, Meg? Well, yeah, I'm Meg Maggie. I'm the, uh, what am I, CEO is, I just want to say for whoever listens to this podcast, it is unreasonably early where we live right now and my brain is not functioning yet. The only people I've talked to so far today are my children, and that wasn't super engaging. <laughs> right, not intellectually. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I'm Meg Mankey. I'm the COO and head of training for Rose Group International. Uh, we are headquartered in uh, western South Dakota, which is uh, the middle of nowhere in the United States, uh, near Mount Rushmore. And um, we really, with Rose Group, we created some concepts called IX Leadership, and uh, that's all in our book. And uh, my business partner and I, Rachel, and I created all this stuff uh, several years ago and with, with our goal uh, to change the way uh, people are treated at work. Yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Rachel Headley. I've got a PhD in science actually, but in, that sci- in my science background, I worked in aerospace and ended up being the operational science officer for a satellite mission, which put me in touch with big teams. And that's the, that's the piece that really got me passionate is understanding how to uh, have teams actually be unified, forward thinking, working together, because of course, uh, not only is that great for the people that, that work uh, on those teams, but it's also great for the organization that you're working for. So um, I got really excited about that, working in the, in the aerospace industry Uh, But I didn't really have a background in humans, uh, really more about systems. And Meg has a background in HR. She came up through mining. So uh, we like to joke that we go from under the ground to outer space, right? Mm. Everything in between. And um, so that's kind of uh, our very different backgrounds in one level. But at the same time, it's both about teams. How do you get teams motivated? And we we saw the same challenges across the board. So uh, regardless of vertical education background all of this all the demographics that we tend to worry about so how how do those two demographics actually meet then science and hr rachel and meg how do they how did they come together to kind of create that partnership uh what do they call it when two things hit each other in outer space and they explode together (laughs) (laughs) whatever that is too early it's too early (laughs) whatever that is um, well, we, Rachel and I had known each other for quite a while and we were, we were at an event together watching people sort of, I, I don't know. I think it's fair to say it was a woman's event. It was a women in business event and it was like terrible music and <laughs> girls just want to have fun, kind <laughs> of, you know, kind of these rah, rah, but no real substance for us. Like we want to know you know, at what point do we change our corporate status uh, based on revenue and number of employees? Like we want real businessy stuff. And this was much more 
it was empowering and uplifting for those people who are into that kind of thing. And right. we were standing watching some women do the conga line at the end of this event. And I said, there's just got to be more to this whole business world. Than this. <laughs> uh, so Rachel and I started and we were commiserating sort of about, uh, you know, the, the challenges that we see in people uh, on teams, no matter what, and the challenges that are put in front of leaders that really aren't being addressed in an effective way um, in present day. So then we started a couple bottles of wine later, we started <laughs> working on all of our IX leadership stuff and here we are today. Well, the really other interesting part from a business perspective for those folks out there who might be consulting or thinking about stepping out on their own is that Meg had always thought she wanted to be an entrepreneur, always wanted to be on her own company. And she was in a full-time, very highly paid position. Um, conversely, I had never thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I had been sort of forced out of a full-time work. I worked at a university where they had a turnover in the president office and they lay off a raft of administration, just like any prime minister or president gets into, uh, they lay off their staff. Well, I was part of the president's staff, so I got laid off. And so I was sort of faced with this option of uh, work for myself or try to find something else. And I decided to work for myself. And so I had to sort of go through all the mental hoops that you jump through to work for yourself and what that means and that your bank account just doesn't fill up every two weeks, which is freaking amazing, which I sort of miss. Well, not anymore, but in early days, I really miss. And so, you know, it's been, it was an interesting um, thing too, because Meg, I think was more willing to jump off into running a company because she had that mindset than I ever was. And so that's been a really uh, fun uh, combination of our backgrounds too. Mm. Interesting. What what kind of came first, and the the business came first, and then the book, or was it at the same time, or all together? Um, mm, well, the, the business technically, the business came first, and then in the, in the space of changing cultures, uh, whether it's a safety culture or uh, just the the people culture, whatever it is, you kind of have to. It seemed to us, anyways time like you kind of had to write a book to um be validated <laughs> by right. society so credibility in yeah. the space for sure so mm. we we took all of our concepts and um hired a book writer and she combined all of our magic stuff together and wrote a book so business first then a book but then mm. i would then i would argue really our business started after the book yeah. technically speaking yeah, I don't, it's, it, the cool thing about the book, and for people that are thinking about writing one or thinking about they think they want to write one, the great thing about it is it basically took all of our ideas, which are already training and consulting on and supporting teams with, and kind of ha- it made us think it through in a much more rigorous way, because we're chaos people. It's part of a lot of our, um, the philosophy behind how we support teams is, is we're very, we love chaos in the sense of, new ideas, creative problem solving, new challenges all the time. And so for us to sit down and do something very order, order tolerant and, and mm-hmm. write a book or, or think through every little piece of our you know, philosophy is like nearly impossible. I mean, we could have done it because we're stubborn and we say we, anybody can do anything they want, but it's really quite challenging. And so I think the gift of the book for us was that it made us sit down and actually think through and the implications of all of the stuff we were training already 
and to say, and that's really where we decided it was a leadership style um, because we were training on culture and team development, critical conversations, um, how to engage with other people, communication, and all the, the kind of the core stuff with a little bit of a twist that we put on it. But we really, when we sat down, we're writing this out, we're like, I think this is actually different than any other leadership style currently, whether it's safety or team or generic. And so we, we actually decided, and that was a big, that was a big, big moment during the book writing. And so I think to Meg's point, we were doing a lot of work before and had some of our biggest clients before we even wrote the book. But mm. after the book, it definitely pivoted how we saw the company and what we were providing. That's interesting. It's kind of like more of a selfish uh, conversation for me because I would like to take a lot of the stuff that I'm doing into sure. a book. So we, I'm probably on, I don't know, about 20, 30 pages into just brain fat and everything that's in here like you say you do the training and it's it's there isn't it like all your ideas and or, or or maybe not so much ideas for me but more how you explain something but when you take that into a book it needs to be much more structured and and it's, it's difficult it's a really hard kind of process and it does kind of re, remap it I suppose and that's interesting that you say that and then the other interesting point is that kind of that validity it gives you as well people just like to have that that author if it doesn't matter if the book's a, a load of rubbish as long as it says yeah. author <laughs> it's that sort of clear, our book is amazing <laughs> i didn't mean <laughs> that <laughs> well it's funny because the we talked to a couple of book uh agents mm -hmm. and they wouldn't yeah. we didn't have a following on social media they didn't ask us about the quality of didn't our care. content they didn't they didn't ask us what we were even writing about or what the book would be about. They checked our social media uh, following and said, oh, you don't have enough people following mm. you, so we can't help you. Yeah, it did not matter because for them it's a business mm. um, because they need to sell a certain number of books in order to make money. And so they didn't, that's why you have, to your point, all these books are total rubbish or, or books by Kim Kardashian that sell out before they're even on the shelf. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a worldwide bestseller before it's even printed. Because people, it's not about what's in it. And so the cool thing about the book when you write it for like what you're doing and what we're doing is that it, it's basically a, it costs us about $4 to have it printed um, as an author. So the it's about a $4 business card, but it is mm. absolutely worth it in a lot of ways. And it's, it's a guidebook. Like we go back to it and we're like, oh shit, we said that? That, oh sorry. <laughs> oh, oh I should. Try not to curse. Sorry. No, you're um, fine. You're fine. Actually, said that. Like that's a that's brilliant. I don't know how we came up with that, but it, you know. And so it, it actually gives us the structure and the guidance on everything. Now we can say, oh well, we teach this. Oh, that's on page 160. If you want to know more than what you're hearing right now, so it really gives us our curriculum basically mm. for what we do and how we do it. It is really great. So for you and other people who've always said, I really want to write a book about this just know that it's probably going to be very difficult because of who you are and that is okay and hire somebody to help you because mm. we never would have got it done <laughs> and it certainly wouldn't have been as good as it is uh, without okay. help without help of a professional 
that's interesting well this is not a book writing podcast so maybe i should stop asking selfish selfish questions for my own kind of uh, benefit so why don't you give a a quick introduction to to the book then and like on what what that is or or uh, because i know we're going to talk about like culture types and like people types and stuff like that but maybe for um people that are lucky enough as me to have that kind of pre-chat with you guys and actually kind of know what we're talking about but just an insight to everyone else as to what ix ix leadership i got that right or i forgot yeah um what what it is and what you what you guys actually do or what your framework if that's the right word is Does that make sense yeah so ix leadership uh the it's ix which stands for internal experience so okay. in the us it gets confused with title nine um which so we're not part of the government this has nothing to do with that at all uh so ix is internal experience and we were um in phoenix arizona uh for speaking at an event these people were in customer service and they said you know gosh our our evaluation numbers coming back from our customers are horrible and we need to fix this problem we need to get our evaluation numbers up uh and then in another uh set of tears they were saying oh well you know our our turnover is really high within our employees and we can't you know we've got beer on tap here we've got bicycles to ride around there's all this really cool stuff Mm. but you know our turnover is still really high and we can't figure out why but we know we're not great at training them and we know we're not great at asking them what they want actually and so rachel and i said well you're really focused on your cscx which is customer service customer experience what if you focused on your IX, your internal experience, um, and focus on those uh, folks that are working for you in your company? And if you treat them better, they're probably going to treat your customers better, which will improve your evaluation numbers. Um, so anyway, that's how the concept, well, I don't know about the concept, the name of the concept was born. Um, and then <clears throat> in the concept, there's uh, culture types. And so we have four different culture types. And Culture types really measure your work preferences. So it's not its not like uh, Myers-Briggs, it's not like DISC, it's not like Colors, Predictive Index, Gallup, Strengths, Finders, because it doesn't really, it doesn't measure anything about your personality uh, or your characteristics as a human. It, it measures your work preferences. So how do you like to, uh, what kind of an environment do you like at work and do you, do you prefer order or do you prefer for chaos? Do you like teams? Do you, are you a little bit more self-driven? And so it gives us an opportunity to see how teams work together then. Um, There's some insight obviously into who you are as an individual, but really our system is built to evaluate teams and how they're working together and how they can be more efficient together. So that's a little bit of it. Rachel could Rachel can go on if you you care. We can really go on. Um, I guess one (laughs) thing I'll just say is we have, so in our in our system, in our framework, we have four types. And so I'll just mention them because we'll probably throw them out accidentally as we talk about things. Yeah, so sure. um, Meg mentioned, so so what if you can uh, close your eyes and imagine a graph and the top of that graph is chaos and the bottom of that graph is order. On the left side is team and on the right side is self-driven. So in the upper left side where you have team and chaos, those are fixers. And we try to name it so that um, it, it, all the names would be sort of self-evident and also n- not connotate some kind of negative because we mm-hmm. believe that everyone contributes. 
um, in important ways. So fixers are chaotic and team driven. Stabilizers are team driven, but order tolerant as their name implies. Um, organizers are order tolerant, but self-driven. So um, they would like to be individual contributors and, and think through problems on their own. And then our independents are chaos people and self-driven. So they love chaos and they're um, also a lot of times in their own head making decisions and thinking about things. So when we talk about these types, and I know this is fast if you're just listening, um, but um, we have all of this stuff on our website too that I'm sure we'll have in the notes that you can go check out. So if you want to know more about those types, there's lots more there on, online. Yeah, we'll put loads of stuff in the, <clears throat> I've got a list of links to put in the description for everybody. I've, I've, a couple of things you, you, you said there, um, make first i find it quite interesting you said about like the beer on tap and stuff like that and it was it was just funny because somebody put on i can't remember what the gentleman's name was but somebody put on linkedin uh a couple of, i think it was just before christmas actually um and said like you know you've got the business where you've got you know pizza fridays you've got bean bagged you know very very kind of like google-esque kind of stuff you've got a, a plastic slide down to the second floor oh, and all, all this crap and yeah. and and it's like and, and the gentleman raised a really good point to say, like, you can have all that, but actually when it comes down to it, it really doesn't matter if you still treat your people like crap or you're still underpaying them, overworking them, you're still uh, bullying. Well, it could be anything, really. Um, and, and I massively supported what he said, but it's... There, there's still a value surely in those kind of like pizza Fridays and stuff. It doesn't matter if you're not understanding your people types that we'll come on to in a minute, your culture types and your culture ins and outs are actually not there. The fundamentals are not there, but if the fundamentals are there, then those kind of pizza Fridays beer on tap stuff is a good stuff to have. Obviously. Um, what, what kind of the question I suppose is, is, the fundamentals come first, but they take a lot of time. So do you wait till you do the fundamentals first and it takes you time to get to that point and then you get your beer on tap or does it not really matter? It sounds like a silly question, but do you know what I mean? Like if you're a business owner and you're trying to work out, you think, you know, for now, I'm just getting pizza Fridays, for example, and in the background, we're going to try and work out our people types, our culture types, etc. Oh, I... That's a big question for eight o'clock in the morning. I understand. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a big question generally. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess when I was in HR and we were doing, especially I worked really closely with the safety manager at the mine and we were, we made some big changes to our um, safety, n not our actual systems necessarily, but the, the people process end of it and the culture. And a little swag never hurts anything, you know, but it doesn't have to be something extravagant. People think keychains and water bottles and t-shirts and whatever, iron-on patches for their, you know, high-vis shirts are cool. So it doesn't have to be anything super extravagant. And you can do that while you're building the fundamentals. I think the, the danger that comes along with that or the what happens probably is that companies get real wrapped up in that because people get excited about that stuff, right? That's mm. like a, that's like an adrenaline hit when you get some cool thing, a pizza Friday, beer on tap, a t-shirt. Uh, but once those emotions wear off, it doesn't make the change you're trying to put into place impactful and it doesn't make it sticky. So they forget why they got it. Um, you know, so I, 
yeah, you can do it at the same time. Sometimes with smaller stuff, it's smart to get some traction and recognition for whatever culture change you're implementing. Um, but you just have to be really mindful that uh, maybe you don't put the slide in first, you know, or, or don't put the slide in and then say, okay, hey, we're done. We, we made it. And then everybody sort of forgets that you were trying to change a culture or keep a culture. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a trap there, too, in the sense of what I, you know, I've been in the dysfunctional team environment. And I remember what, you know, what I felt often when if you, they went overboard on the free stuff, but left you miserable 99% of the time was, I was like, you're willing to spend, uh, you know, $80,000 to put a slide in this building, but you can't spend a little time and money with fixing the core issues of what's going on. And I think that's really the trap of it is that uh, I don't want free pizza. I want my boss to not be a jackass, you know? Mm. So to me, it, you have with, for a new employee, you have about six to nine months for that employee to decide if they want to stay with you or if they're going to jump. And today people are much, have much more high uh, requirements for feeling like they fit in for, and that is somewhat of the beer and bicycle mentality but it has more to do with how they're treated in meetings, how they're treated in the hallway, if they're hearing yelling in offices behind closed doors, that's the things that will chase people away. So you have kind of this pull factor of sexy work environment, but you have this massive push factor of negative culture and that will push them out the door. The pull factor of the beer bicycles won't keep them. Mm. So nice to have, and I, to Meg's point, it does make you feel like people are at least valuing you at some level but if the but, but if most of it's negative it's not going to help so i think mm. that's the balance to really be thinking about yeah they kind of they kind of maybe lull businesses into a full sense of security i suppose like mm. you, i like what you said about making it stick and, and stuff like that. so you forget why you why you did it in the first place and if it oh you know we're really good you know we've pizza fridays beanbags slide whatever or yeah. whatever this business is i kind of want to just have a look at the head office it sounds awesome um but it is in the fundamentals of it it's yeah on the day to day you know if you're you're getting shouted at and stuff like that just you're not going to stick are you so no so kind of one thing that i got out of our pre-chat was like understanding your people and i thought that was really um it, it kind of resonated with me because i find we are safety professionals but not just safety professionals kind of anybody with leaders you're trying to communicate something or you're trying to implement a change or, or whatever it really it doesn't matter um but if you don't understand those people you're communicating to you might as well be speaking a different language i suppose so kind of fr from your your it's a really obvious question but from your point of view you know how how important really is it that we actually understand our people because i suppose from a, a small family business of maybe like uh, under 100 would even be easy compared to somebody like amazon and something like that where it's international it's absolutely huge is like how does that kind of actually work it's really important but how does it actually work does that make sense uh well another big question i yeah you're man you're <laughs> level laying down the hammer here uh i would say how important is it uh you know i think i think in my early days, especially as an entrepreneur, or maybe even as an HR professional, I'd say, well, it's everything. It's the foundation. And it is. But the more we're in business for ourselves and the more we see companies 
we get to see the <clears throat> thematic expressions of different organizations and in different industries, I would say it depends on what kind of a company you want to have. Uh, mm. Some companies don't care. And so then it's not important. Those are not our clients. Um, and they have really high turnover and they just say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Um, yeah. Some people are okay with it. And some people are, yeah, they just say, oh, that's just how business is. We'll find another nurse. Healthcare is in the United States anyways is, that's what you hear him say all the time. Well, we'll, do, we'll find another nurse. There's lots of traveling nurses. Um, so, but if you're a company who really uh, wants to keep your turnover lower and you value your people and you want them to know that, um, and that's a foundational piece of your organization, it is everything. Um, understanding what is important to your people uh, is the difference between success and failure and, and not just for them, but also for their team um, and for your whole organization. So, I mean, I, I think it's imperative that you understand that. And that's why we created the system we did, because there isn't anything really out there to address it, that you can understand teams of people and how they like to work. Yeah, you know, it's I love the question, um, too, because someone actually told me, and it was sort of broke my heart a little bit, but I was talking through some issues at work with a woman and she said that they, I said, well, they had shared our book around cause they know us and, and everyone loves it. And they're like, Oh, that's why Susie does it this way. And that's why, you know, uh, Billy does this. And I'm like, well, I said, do you think it'll help you guys work better as a team? And, and she looked at me and she goes, Oh, we don't act like it. We don't behave like a team. There's really not a team team in my, in my office. And I'm like, that just, first of all, broke my heart a little bit, but what we really see that when that happens is that the the company or business is making money anyway, mm. um, despite the fact that their people are A, miserable, B, most people are team-oriented and they're, that means they're feeling not part of the valued as part of the group. You know, they're order tolerant. Um, most people are, which means that, you know, they're in, there's in part in this case, there was injecting all of this chaos into the system where they didn't need to. So it's almost like they're intentionally keeping people kind of off, you know, um, kilter. And so, but they're making money. So sort of like safety, if you can, if you can be safe, despite your bad habits, why invest in a safety culture? Right. Mm. But at the end of the day, there's going to be something that goes wrong. There's, there's studies that show that people are 20% less productive if they don't feel uh, valued, safe, you know, um, part of the team. And so think about the thing that I struggle with is I get that you are making money and all of that despite what you're doing, but you're, think of the profits you're giving up. Think of the, the new products you can bring to market, people that, the people that you can help. You're losing all of those amazing things because you're not treating your people well and you're not you don't have the safety programs in place you don't have the development programs in place for what you need and i just think that's where we get in our own way is when people are making money even when they're being jerks to their people hmm. because then there's no they don't think there's any incentive to changing and i think that's going to be a challenge across the board yeah it's a little bit like the safety triangle you know the the valuing your people understanding your people and how and the importance of that it's like the safety triangle when you're trying to explain to a business, you know, an executive why safety is important and you say, well, you know, you're coloring in the bottom of the triangle, you get a lot of whoopsies in there, but you're eventually going to get to the top of that triangle and you're going to, you know, hurt somebody really badly or they might die. 
And all of that, all of that lack of that lack thinking or lack of attention to that, the really important things about safety and safety culture and safety process are all built up to this one death or one severe mm -hmm. uh, injury. Same thing with your culture, you know, and that's why it's hard in the industries that we're in um, to, to convince people because it does, it can take a long time before it really actually impacts you if you are making money in spite of your bad decisions. Right. It's not an immediate mm -hmm. turnaround. Same with safety. Like it's not all of a sudden things are going to change visibly bottom line. It is a belief in the long-term success in the, and what you're doing. And that is, that view is hard for some people to, to, to get their head around. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of somebody I know worked for a company for a few years and, um, got to quite a senior position and then that that company was then brought out by a huge company that um well i say huge huge in the uk they weren't they weren't international but they were a big company but they were basically like an investment business that brought loads of other successful businesses and their culture to, to use that word was just horrendous like that Every, and the person I knew that worked there just never had a positive word to say about this business in any way, shape or form. But they made a hell of a lot of money, um, hated working there. Their, their head office where um, the person I knew had to go to um, was like right next to the recycling center. So it stunk like there was a landfill right next to it. It was just the cheapest office they could find you know that kind of everything was cheap 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 all the equipment from my point of view as a safety professional it sounded horrendous you know they were getting really poorly competent people to do kind of quite complex fire risk assessments etc etc so anywhere they could cut money they could do it um but when you kind of said well, as an employee do you do you not want to say that's not acceptable and and the answer was always no because we get a profit share um, so the more profit the business makes at the end of the financial year, we get a huge bonus, absolutely huge. And I was like, that's fair enough. And some people work there for years on that basis. But I thought as this goes, it cannot last. There's no sustainability to this plan. Like you're going to kill someone. I think from my point of view, you're going to kill someone. And the response then was, Oh no, they they had they um they they had a fatality in the in the investment business a few years back, and then that's why they employed one safety guy. And I was like, one safety person to do this, this huge business. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. And I just thought, oh, this is just you're just going to kill somebody else. You've not fixed the issue here. And the right. issue was the whole kind of mindset of that business was cut corners, make money. They didn't really be able to sit back and and I think and the point I'm trying to get to is that I think sometimes people look at the message that, that you're communicating is quite similar to the message that I'm communicating and that if we do this right we focus on looking after our people there's so much more potential to what you're already doing yes you're making a shed load of money but actually maybe you could make a lot more money Mm -hmm. in my right opinion. and that's that's what i would argue for that firm we have private equity firms here in the states that are similar they just buy up buy up buy up companies mm. and i just think imagine how much more money you could be making right so that profit share check at the end of the year if you had a little bit nicer offices people were that much more excited to go to work people were that much more you know embedded in your organization and wanted you to succeed and they were felt better and, and could be more productive 
you know, that's 20, what if they could improve their revenue share or their, their profit share by 20% every year? I bet everyone would do it. Mm. So I think that's the interesting, that's the interesting conundrum is when the money is in the middle of it. They yeah. see that first and they don't get to, they don't really see beyond it. So. And, and, and that same business had a very much uh, a kind of bully fear-based kind of um, culture in so that the, the, the big boss of, of the, this kind of, it was a very complicated structure, but essentially the big boss was very aggressive, very stereotypical, successful, I don't know, 60s, 70s male that just shouts at people uh, to get the way he wants. And, and, and I just thought I could not, I could not last there for a week i'd end up having a fight with somebody and, and leaving but <laughs> that that aside um and and then thinking back on that now and we just did a podcast with um a gentleman called david mclean who's a psychologist um and he works with businesses now around psychology and he was saying when you're kind of in that stress or or more for this case that fear kind of but you're in the wrong part of the brain which means you stop being innovative so actually this business was like yes they're doing great selling what they sell but actually there's somebody in that business that can come up with a new way of doing something or a new product but they're in the wrong part of the brain to be able to do that because they dared and take a risk which is essentially what, what we're talking about is creating an environment where people are comfortable being uncomfortable for a little bit taking a risk being innovative um and i just think it's so it's such a shame that sometimes we create these environments where we're actually doing ourselves harm yeah i think too the for me uh, what tells what that tells me and, and i love that parts of the brain conversation um and what that tells me too is that most people who are already willing to be innovative and sh and be thinking creatively and not necessarily that not everyone's creative, but in the way of crazy new mm -hmm. ideas that are out of your normal expertise area of expertise, those people will not tolerate to your point. Exactly. They won't stay there because they don't mind change. They see opportunity and change. They're going to leave. The people that will end up staying in that environment are people that tend to be order tolerant and don't want their, the, the, the fear around or change fear around change and leaving is so much more than putting up with the misery that's at that job mm -hmm. and so not only do you have the psychology of you're out of the wrong in the wrong part of your brain but you're also inviting people to stay with you that aren't normally chaos tolerant anyway and so you're kind it's kind of a double hit against that company because people that are tolerant of change will leave and so then who you have left are the people that they're going to get that work done because they're great at what they do, but they are not going to be in that, in that mind of being innovative, even if they have the opportunity to most of the time. Mm. So I took your, um, I did like an online test to, to kind of put what yourself are you? and, and according to your test, I'm a fixer. Ah, woohoo, me too. So, so my why don't you kind of, I know you give us a brief introduction to those, but could we kind of break them down a bit more? Like, so what is a fixer? What do I look like from a fixer? And, and then the other kind of things in, in the context of a business, maybe what kind of, I don't know whether this is the right thing, but what kind of roles are they normally in? Are they good at? What do they like? What don't they like? I think that would be interesting. Okay. You asked for it. So here we go. <laughs> Uh, so our, our fixers are team, like Rachel said earlier, team driven and uh, chaos tolerant. So they really like to think collaboratively, 
work collaboratively, they're brainstormers, pretty much always have a, you know, a whiteboard marker in their hand and ready to go to the conference room and talk about what's going to happen next. Um, they, they really like uh, an opportunity to think about different, different things. Um, and fixers, uh, the thing they, some fixers will struggle with is they'll fix problems that other people don't have for themselves. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm clearly not a fiction. Indep- Meg's an independent. So. Okay. so if I, you know, so just as a sort of a silly example, if I'm having computer issues, which I have what Rachel calls technology Tourette's. So I yell obscenities at my computer. For no reason. Well, there's a reason. I just, I just don't explain it. But that's just kind of my way of dealing with it. If I really actually need help, I will say, Rachel, can you help me with this? Because she's the technology wizard in our office. Um, but she will just kind of unintentionally, uh, subconsciously migrate over by my desk and she'll just be watching. <laughs> I help you. Well, if you click here and do this and I'm like, get, get the, I'm going to figure this out myself. Uh, so fixers are, uh, I want to help. I viscerally cannot watch someone struggle and not offer to help. Mm. So that's part of a fixer. It's also great about I fixers, but it's also part of our challenge is that letting Meg, yell obscenities or computer. When I get to the point of yelling obscenities on my computer, I need help and she does not want help. And so that's part of my challenge is recognizing when she doesn't want me there. Although she's good at telling me now. So So that's a fixer. Uh, I'm an independent. Independents are uh, self-driven and chaos tolerant. So I'm like a fixer in that I'm chaos tolerant, like opportunity to think about new things and, um, sort of brainstorm but I like to do that brainstorming more on my own first than uh, to do it with a whole group of people Uh, so if Rachel says let's go talk about this thing let's all of us get together we're having a dinner tonight let me tell you for no effing reason but for for group unity and happiness we can all get together and talk So, so when you were saying earlier about knowing about each other's families and sharing out in the meeting Makes and that's what you man. love and that's what this, this other person hates, um, this is, this is her. She does like, I mean, she, she cares about people. That's not part of it. It's about how you like to work. Like mm. don't need it. That's not part of it. Right. Unless it's going to distract you from your work or you're actually physically not going to be here right at this moment in this meeting. I don't need to know about it. Anyway, I care about you now that we've made a complete asshole. Independents are not assholes. They're not not narcissists. Just they like to process information on their own first. And sometimes they like to actually work alone. So for me, if I'm dealing with, if I can't figure out a problem or let's say I want to go, like our assessment has gone through a few iterations because what we do is we analyze the data after 10,000 people take it. And we make sure that each question is actually helping us differentiate people. Because if it doesn't, then why have the question? So I want to scrub the questions every so often. We're, we're settled into it now, but when we first started, we, we did some updates. And I would always be, I would always be like, hey, Mick, hey, Mick, let's get together and uh, talk about these questions. And what, let's take a look at it and let's walk through it. And she's like, just, you just do the, t- tell me what you think. Like, you think about it. Let's talk about it after you think about it. I haven't even looked at it, and I want to start from zero together. And she's like, uh, "That we, mm, we're, I'm okay." And so <laughs> that's just part of it. And like, I love working in a team. Like, I worked on my own in my own firm 
just as a solo consultant for a few years before uh, Meg and I connected and started Rose Group. And I can do that. I'm incredibly productive, but I didn't enjoy it at all. Mm. Uh, I didn't like going to the office by myself. I didn't like sitting down in front of a computer all the time and not having that connection on a day-to-day -day basis. Meg, on the other hand, like she could work at home all the time and then touch base when needed needs to and and work together on things when necessary but she doesn't have that visceral need to share space that I have and so that's part of our compromise so um and we share an office space and so Monday Tuesday Wednesday we are all in the office if we're in town and then Thursday Friday we can do whatever we want we don't have to be in the office we can work from home work in coffee shop and so that allow that satisfies me and my need to coexist um, in, in real physical space. And it allows Meg to do what she needs to do, which is get the hell out of here and actually get some work done in her works. So but that's you, you get three days there, Rachel. Meg only gets I do. Three I days. Get, well, we're really not in the office altogether that much. Uh, between us, like Meg had an all day event with a client yesterday. Um, I'm leaving to, for Canada all next week. She's off to Cleveland to, to work with a team. So we are all running around, but that way we know when we will for sure see each other. Um, and so that, that helps me have some ease. Um, and frankly, the team as a whole, I think uh, works better when we have that sort of planned space. So, but that's me, I'm a team person. Squeaky wheel though, good, good, good way to pick that up. <laughs> hey, shh, don't talk about that. <laughs> I got, I got stabilizers. Oh, Go stabilizers. So stabilizers, um, stabilizers are the uh, are the, our biggest group. They are team driven, and they are order tolerant. And these are the people for anything from like welders who go to work, and they're going to be the best damn welder um, in the shop, and they're going to weld for the rest of their life. And and that doesn't mean that they're boring or not creative, but what they're more likely to do, if you think about developing or or or, or helping them sort of get out of their comfort zone, they might go into TIG welding or another kind of welding. Um, whereas I might want to learn how to skydive because I'm the chaos person, you know? Mm. So um, they tend to, but they're, they get the job done. Like they are reliable. They're awesome to have on your team. They're awesome leaders because they're always showing up all the time and they can stay to the plan where us crazy people, us chaos people are squirreling away on one thing or another. Um, they're, gonna they're gonna be the ones reminding you, hey, we, we said we we're gonna do this thing over here, so I'm not sure why you're talking about doing this other new thing over there. So they're the, they're the really reliable um, folks, and they're tied into people tightly. So they don't like disruption in the social network at work or at home, frankly. So think about changing a boss for an example, for some of us, that's like, okay, I'm going to give this person a couple weeks and then we'll get running with them. Um, and then other people are like, they will literally, that'll kind of throw them for maybe nine months or a year to have a new boss and figure out what the new boss is doing. So they tend to not adapt to changes quickly. Not that that's necessarily bad mm -hmm. um, because once they make the switch over to the new thing, they're locked in. They're the stabilizing force, whether they're stabilizing in one place or another. Um, and then organizers like order, uh, similar to stabilizers. So, but they um, are more self-driven. So think, uh, you know, they might be the, the they might be the financial person that can literally be embedded in spreadsheets all day, and then they emerge at the end of the day and they haven't talked to anybody and they're totally fine with that. 
Mm. And meanwhile, all the, or the stabilizers are trying to throw the potluck. I don't know. You guys call it potlucks in, in England. Everyone brings food and we share. Pizza food. Friday. Pizza Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you have this, like, everyone brings food and shares and it's oh, like this okay, yeah. thing and you get to try each other's dishes and, and it's this very Midwestern thing here. And, um, and so they, the stabilizers are throwing those parties and the, you know, they're peeking their head into the office of the organizer saying, Hey, you're going to come out to the pizza Friday party. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm not really that hungry. Mm-hmm. And the stabilizers think there's, they're upset or there's something wrong because they're not engaging in the humans. And they're like, <laughs> they don't, literally don't need it. So when you do team building exercises and stuff, the self-driven people are tend to be the ones standing at the side going, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I don't need to do the ropes course, trust fall thing, whatever you're doing. Okay. So it is, that's why it's so important to kind of understand these types because just because someone's not doing what you would want to do, doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It's they're, mm. they're doing their own thing. So those are kind of the four types that we look at. That's really interesting. Cause I think like I'm probably one of my favorite parts of my job is it's being a trainer. So it's probably one of my favorite, my favorite parts. I like the sound of my own voice. That's why I do a podcast. <laughs> Um, that's probably the the main reason why I like training, but it's it's interesting, kind of as a trainer, to to listen to that. And if you get that kind of person that doesn't want to get involved in the icebreakers and the the engagement games or anything like that, um, you, you as a trainer, you try and push it a little bit and you try and get some engagement, but then it's kind of acknowledging that okay, just leave it, that's fine, but also not making it awkward so that everyone else in the room thinks that they're just miserable. And that, that's a real hard challenge, I find, sometimes for maybe like someone like me that would just get cracking and just get right stuck into the game and pick up the board marker, like you say, and just off we go. Going. Well, the trap about it, though, is that some people don't want to engage. Let's say they're a stabilizer, they're team-driven, and so they would normally be involved. But let's say they don't. they might not know anybody in the room, they're not really sure who anyone else is. Um, and so they might be feeling socially um, not um, safe is a, is a strong word, but you know what I mean? Like they might not be, feel socially comfortable. Okay. And so they might be resisting because they're afraid of that piece instead of just being not needing it. So the trap is if you ignore those people, they're going to feel more and more isolated even mm. when they want to be involved. So that's the tension you're feeling is that some people – really desperately want to be a part of that but they are kind of afraid to engage and so then there are some people like meg who are like no really i'm good but they'll they're more likely to stand up and say yeah i'm meg blah 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 whatever sit down um i would argue but the people that really disengage a lot of times really want to be engaged but they are they tend to look combative because they tend to be in in that place of not feeling comfortable. Mm. So I think that's the trap you get into with training. Mm. No, it's and a challenge. That's we, for sure. that's, sorry. That's why we do that's the assessment right. first. So okay. we kind of know who's in the room, right? So mm. when we walk into a room, we know that there's, you know, everyone's stabilizers, there's three fixers and everyone else's uh, organizers. And what does that mean for that team dynamic so mm. that we can lean on uh, techniques and strategy so when you deliver your stuff you're like immediately understanding kind of the dynamic in the room i like that yeah mm, that's interesting can can it kind of it can change them based on like context of say like i'm a fixer but like if i'm in, a, in an environment where i'm not comfortable like you were just saying or 
I, I don't know, you're having a bad week or you can the context of the environment. I kind of, and I know you said you, you're not a Myers-Briggs, but I know that's one of the biggest, um, uh, what's the word? complaints against those kind of systems is that you know Myers-Briggs will put you into a into a hole and say that's what you are but then actually that I know and I know I know you said you're not that but it's kind of like that that kind of changes in in context is that similar with with this your kind of thing would you say that sir can can it change in the in the events of the time in the environments and stuff like that can it change as someone gets older can you be a a more order-driven person as you're younger and then a chaos-driven person when you're older or? So uh, what we, where we start with this part of the conversation is you are who you are, who you are. So if you've tested as a fixer, chances are your, your default mechanism in terms of work preference is fixer behavior. However, if you're in a certain situation um, that, you know, makes you feel uncomfortable, you might act differently than normal fixer behavior. So, and a lot of times this will happen. I was actually meeting with a client yesterday and they said, well, we're pretty sure this one employee is not a fixer because she shows up as with stabilizer tendencies because she does this and does this and does this. And I said, well, is she happy at work? Is, is she a high performer? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, no, not really. She's not a very high performer and she's not this, not that. I said, okay, well, she probably has some she's having some uh, stabilizer type reactions to what's going on in her environment because she's not comfortable about what's happening around her. And I, so anyway, we talked through that. So uh, Rachel, when, so when Rachel's uncomfortable with something um, that she knows enough about that she knows how it should be, like that it should be what needs to happen for it to be correct, she kind of turns into a little bit of an organizer. And she will say, I want this information. I want this information. I want this information. That is wrong. You are right. Stop talking. Let's move on. Like she, she turns into an organizer looking for information. Um, now if she's in a situation where she's, uh, uncomfortable and doesn't have enough information or she's not really an expert on it, more stabilizer. Cause she goes to talk to the team about, well, what do we need to learn or what do we need to know? I don't know enough about this to make a decision how, you know, and, and, but she's still order tolerant asking those questions. So it turns into a stabilizer. I'm not sure exactly what my, I turn into an organizer. If I know things that need to be done, if I'm a little bit unclear on what's going on, I sort of take everything and say, okay, no, get out of here. I'm going to, I'm going to organize this. You're, you're bothering me. <laughs> um, and so, yes, we can all, we can all, uh, be different culture types based on the situation for a short amount of time, especially if we're in a change environment or we're uncomfortable with the way something's happening. Um, however, once you, when you are comfortable, when you are uh, sort of clicking along and things are normal, feeling good, uh, then it's most likely that you will be your default culture type. Yeah, we can, we always say that you can behave in any way you need to. So I can be routine and stay like very order tolerant because that's part of who we are. Part of our, all of our jobs, we have to do things that we don't like. But, um, and so I can do it and I can do it well because I'm smart and hardworking and I know what I got to get done. But do I want to do that full time all the time? No. Um, you know, I would say Meg acts a little more like a fixer when she's in training because she wants to make sure that everyone that's struggling or not getting it or wants that light bulb moment, she helps them get there. Right. And so that's how she behaves in that space. And that's why you love 
you're a fixer and you're a trainer because you want to help your, you live to help people mm. make the world a better place, right? That is at your core. Mm. And so I think that's the important thing to realize. And that's why people feel so mismatched to their job sometimes. Uh, my first job out of college was a stabilizer job. It was do that, do what you're doing this way in this way. This is how you name your files. This is where you put them. This is how long it should take you. This like every now when I first started that job, I'm a fixer. So remember, I like chaos, new ideas, new challenges all the time. When I first started that job, I loved it because it was like this huge learning curve in aerospace, satellite mm. data, very complicated, really heady, loved it. But over time, I was miserable mm. because it became that routine, the sexy part that I loved, which was the learning and the new ideas and the figuring out how to do it became, it became routine. And so when I look back, I would say, I may have said, well, I liked that. Like that was the environment I wanted. I thought that's what I wanted. And as a college kid, but then I got into it. And after a year and a half, I found other things to do other ways to make my life interesting. You know, when I had a stabilizer job, I would do a lot of volunteer work that I helped people, you know? And so that's how you can kind of tell if you're mismatched, you can do anything but you won't be happy and you won't stay there. And that's where as team leaders, whether it's safety or otherwise, you want to be really paying attention to how your people are matched or not to the jobs that they have. Cause that's going to make a big, big difference in how much they thrive, how long they stay, how they influence other people. So I would argue that the fixer who's not showing up like a fixer is probably one of the things to look at. Is she mismatched to the job? Is she getting enough of that chaotic, interesting, kind of thing that she loves in the job that she's doing. Mm, I like that. I don't, I don't think you're quite, you're quite um, strong on your point to say that every kind of like, like the titles that you've given the, the sections, they're all positive uh, mm -hmm. words. Like, and, and you, um, when you were, when Rachel was describing Meg, it was, it's not a bad thing, you know, it, right. it, well, I kind of look at it and I think, well, all of those those kind of four sections of the pie that they they, they they form the pie you know without one section there is no pie and and it, it makes me makes you think actually to a couple of conversations with my wife is quite obviously a, a order driven person and I'm quite obviously a chaos driven person when I think about it and and, and obviously the part of this podcast we would like to grow into into our business etc and um, so my brain is like all the time going, I want to talk to people. I'm like, yeah, look, what about this idea? This idea? It's one thing here, podcast, YouTube, book, business, consulting, training. Well, it's, it's all over the place. And I try and talk to my wife about it. And she's very much like, no, 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 this, this is not business talk time. You, you need to get uh, a meeting in a diary for business. So, so we're like, okay, that's fine. We do that. So I kind of hold everything back. Like, Biting my biting my knuckles, and we put a we put a, a meeting in our personal diaries, and sat down at a table, and then we're like, so we're doing this. She was like, yeah, I'm ready, and I just went <laughs> everything I'd had for like the last six weeks, but she, but she was okay with it because it was in a right. form of order and it was like minuted and it was really official. But it was actually when I, when I listened to you two talk, I think Do you know what this makes so much sense. 
that's how it is. She's obviously order driven and I and I thrive in the kind of chaos life. But you need both of those. Like I there's there's stuff that she does that I absolutely hate, like organizing our files for all the podcasts. I can't stand it. It's like but it's there called Zoom File Two Four Nine Seven Six. And she's like, But that doesn't make any sense. That's the interview with with Meg and Rachel. Why don't you call it interview with Meg and Rachel? Because I know what it is, it's fine, leave it. That's right. Uh, but we'll it, figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest, the words I, I've decided that drive order tolerant people the craziest is don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Because they worry about it. And when people like us tell them, don't worry about it, that tells them that we don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> and if you really want to drive an order tolerant person nuts, add, um, I got it on the end of it. Don't worry. Especially if they know you're a cast tolerant person, you don't got it. They know that you don't. They're going to end up doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great but i love that i love that you kind of you emphasize that you, you know you need these people i always said for a long time like you know for me i couldn't do like like you said i couldn't do that same job every day come in run a machine every day you know collect bins every day and people go oh how can people do that job it's like some people love to do yes. that and yes. we need people to love to do that otherwise we wouldn't have a business Right. Totally. Yeah. And you need people that are more chaos driven to push the company forward, to look for opportunities, to develop new markets, to help encourage that stuff. Even from the bottom, even the, even the new staff that are that chaos tolerant can see what's going on process wise and say, Hey, I can, I think we can make improvements here. And, and that's why it's so interesting in that space. When you talk about improve process improvement, it's like, well, yes, but the very, you know, some of the core challenges in manufacturing today are that we attract stabilizers who love routine, who love consistency, and that's why they're there. And that's what makes manufacturing great because you want a consistent product delivered at on time and for a known cost. And that's what you need. But at the same time, we have this huge challenge in manufacturing specifically about all the development and the transition and the innovation and the new robotics and all the things are, are wanting to happen in that space, you're trying to implement it with people who love routine. And so there has strategy in place. And that's part of the magic of what we do is figuring out what the strategy is to help those very stabilizer or very order tolerant people come along on the ride of this change and how, why it's important and why they should get on board and understanding what they need to get implement that change, whether it's a new safety culture, a new uh, supply chain, whatever it might be, they're going to resist it right away. And us knowing that about that, those people is so critical because then we can actually, instead of being surprised by it, we can actually plan in a way that makes it resonate with them and gets them on board and, and has them loving it as much as we do. And then you get this magic that everyone's working together on the same challenge and they feel like it's really important. And that's when you actually affect real change. And that's the piece that most companies completely stink at. Mm. So that's, but there's kind of two parts to it, like understanding yourself, but also understanding the other people. And maybe, maybe, maybe how you impact on those other people as well. Like, like you were describing yourself going over and be, oh, can I help you with that? Like, I'm very much like that. If I see somebody doing so, I could be, oh, oh, did you know that if you press control, dead (laughs) they don't care but it's like i suppose it's me being able to acknowledge that 
Meg would tell me to piss off if I said that. Do you know what I mean? And uh, be able to acknowledge that is just as important maybe as being able to say, oh, I know what I am, but but from a negative point as well as a positive point. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things we talk about all the time is a lot of leadership is self-reflective. It's really important to know who you are and, and what your behaviors are and what that means. But what we really focus on is turning that spotlight to your team and understanding who they are. Because frankly, your job as a leader is to create an environment where they can thrive. And and how do you do that and how do you understand it? And so when we really work with people and, and teams, we actually give them a scatter plot or a graph that has all of your people on it at once. Mm. So you can see that that Nick is more chaos tolerant than Meg and Meg is is chaos tolerant, but she's actually less chaos tolerant than than Rachel is in a different way and what does that mean and so you can and then you also always see patterns it's so interesting manufacturing we see a lot of patterns and stabilizers creeping into fixers right and and in uh, financial services we see a lot of organizer groupings and and mm-hmm. so it's really important to look outward and understand your people uh, it's, it's important to know who you are and, and your people's reaction to you because of who how you behave but there's a lot of self-reflective leadership that we're really trying to turn that around a little bit and start saying know who you are but also be focused as much or more about who your people are and and you would have to i assume adjust how or i would have to adjust how if i'm trying to uh, let's stick to training so a lot of safety professionals do do training so if i was to i like your idea of everybody kind of doing that survey before the training starts why i know that everyone's a a stabilizer for example of to adjust how i deliver my training because naturally i would deliver it as my own work style as a fixer but but adjust it maybe to suit them and is that, that kind of what you mean yeah i uh i've had a group i delivered to in no october and november and they were pretty much all stabilizers Actually, I think, I don't know that there was anybody in the group that was above what we call above the line. So above being order tolerant uh, and up into chaos tolerant. So I really had to think about the things. I added more to my PowerPoint, like more bullet points, more information, less pictures. Um, In the agenda, I had to build them an agenda and send it to them in advance. So that was also weird. Not something I would normally do. Um, and then in that agenda, I had to actually put down, like, what are we going to talk about? Not just super high level generic words. Um, and then I, I knew that when it came time for discussion, uh, I would have to be the one to throw out the prompt questions uh, instead of expecting them to ask questions. Order to mm-hmm. people typically have a lot of questions, but in a group setting, uh, they don't, they don't want to ask them. Organizers don't want to ask them because they don't care about being in the group necessarily um and stabilizers don't want to ask them because boy you know i just don't want to take up anybody's time i bet i bet susie really needs to use the washroom you know whatever so um so it, it does make a difference in in terms of training who's in the room and and if you've got a group that's mixed you know if you've got a mixed bag all four types um you it you kind of know once you get used to doing it you kind of know how to handle everybody so if you have an independent um, which there aren't very many of them. So usually it's just one in any group. Um, if you have an independent, you might, when every, all the groups are working to met together, you might just go talk to them about 
you know, whatever you're doing right at that moment or something completely different, just to engage them a little bit, to build that trust and relationship. So they'll continue to listen to you, not just because somebody made them come, but also because they might actually get something out of it. Well, the other thing I love is you should tell, you should tell the story about the values crest when you have them draw. Oh yeah. And the differences. Cause I think this is really illustrative of what we're talking about. Yeah. So we do, there's this, a part of our training where you have people talk about values, uh, individual values, and then they were supposed to draw a crest, you know, like family crest with four different, uh, buckets. Uh, spots and so what are what are your values your individual values I make them draw a picture that is representative of that value so if the if the value was honesty they have to draw something that mm-hmm. represents honesty in their mind now chaos tolerant people are like yeah sure you got any markers oh these are the smelly kind that's so fun this is smell this one it smells like grape uh, <laughs> The order tolerant people are completely freaked out and like looking for any chance to get out of the, you know, like, oh, I've got an email I've got to answer. Uh, I, you know, I'm not feeling well. And like, <laughs> they'll like leave the room so they don't have to draw. So they don't have to draw. <laughs> I'm really not an artist, you know, like it stresses them out because you've asked them to do something as well outside of their comfort zone um, and in a very short order. So you didn't say, I had, I've had somebody say, you didn't tell me there would be drawing today. Yeah. Like they, they're, they're going to go prep. For, you know, for the little <laughs> stick man, you know, for the stick man family that they were going to draw, you know, but they, they just, they can't even get to the point of, well, I'm just going to draw stick people of the number of in my family. Like if family's a value, they, 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 they are so like kind of taken aback by this thing they didn't expect mm. that they automatically are resistant. And so that's a very small example of how this can be expressed on a very large scale in some organizations. That's interesting. I, uh, I could talk about this for hours, um, <laughs> but I've got so many examples. I like to use Lego in my training. Uh, so there's like a whole industry in it called Lego Serious Play. It's quite, I think it's much bigger in America than it is over here because we're stuck up Brits and we don't, we don't like doing stuff like that. But it's um, one, one example I use is, is just um, I give the, everybody the same amount of bricks uh, and the same, they're exactly the same and just say, right, build a duck. Um, in the Lego serious play, they use it to say like, okay, we can, and they, they talk about like personality types similar to this, by sure. by how you build this duck. So you, I don't know, you put the red thing on top. So that means you're extrovert or whatever was, I use it to, to say um, that no matter how many people have the same amount of ducks, the same amount of time, seen ducks, everything's all the same, you all do something different. So everybody, rarely do you get people build the same duck unless they copy somebody, build the same duck as anyone else. So you've got a room of 20 people and they all build a different duck and it just it blows people's minds sometimes. It's one of my favorite things to do. But... I've had a young lady when I was doing the training course and I give her the duck and she like pretty much had a nervous breakdown and I had no idea how to deal with this. And my, my comfort blanket is humor. So I didn't know how to, to, to deal with this. So I completely stepped back into my old school James and just start making a joke out of it, more mocking myself more than anything else. But she literally went into a shell and, and then I had to say to her like in the break, like, are you okay? I didn't, I didn't mean to offend you. She was like, no, I, I just, it didn't sit right with me that I had these things without instructions. I needed to what, tell me how to build the duck, how, how to build the duck. And I was like, no but that's not the point of the exercise the exercise is i just want you to build a duck she was like yeah but i need instructions 
but that's not the point of the exercise. (laughs) Right. So a couple things, if she may have been an organizer, which she likes instructions, so that might be it. But if she was a stabilizer, you could have teamed her up with the person next to you who would also hopefully been a team person and said, Hey, Susie, would you be willing to work with Beth on this project? And then they would have had a great, great gale time. They would have had a great time. And so mm. that's one way, that's the nice thing about knowing where they're at. Because the other thing, you wouldn't want to sort of saddle the, the, the independent or whatever, the, the young person with someone who was self-driven, because they would have felt like that was, well, no one else has to team up. Why the hell do I have to have a partner? So, but that's some of, oh, it's so, such a great example. I love that story. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Another exercise I've done a couple of times, you just give um, people like a bucket of bricks or just everything in it and just say, build your job. Just build me your job just to show us. Because people give a really interesting, um, uh, when, when you're told to build your job, people are like, they don't know what to do and then they build from it. And then it's so much easier to explain what you do with this kind of, this kind of brick building in front of you and I've had somebody build like a ray gun because that they feel like all they do is influence people with their ray gun so they just go and I was just like that's a great way of explaining it but I've had people on that being like I just don't get it and, that, and they just don't really build anything just put some bricks together and just be like well I'm just an operator someone and I'm just like oh whatever you're you're boring you don't want to get involved but actually now looking at it it's their personality type and that's just not suited to them right Yep, I would agree. That's probably what's happening. Wow. And so it doesn't mean, though, that you don't do the exercise. It's just how you do it, I suppose. It's how you do it and thinking about can you provide, for people that really are uncomfortable with the creativity or the, the chaos of that exercise, can you provide them with op, like four options? Here are some options that you could consider. What's, yours, what's your job most like of these four? And then let them build something off a menu. That will help them a lot. So people that don't want the menu don't have to use the menu. But if people are really uncomfortable that, especially in safety and and in manufacturing, there's going to be some really deep stabilizers that are going to want something to follow. So so don't stop doing it. Just think of how can you make it, facilitate it for them in a slightly different way. Mm. That's fascinating. I honestly could actually talk about this stuff for years. I feel like it's a bit of a, it's a, it's call, a call us later. We'll talk. About yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like a, like a minefield, I suppose. There's so much to this, but I feel like, I feel like industries are not really, uh, ready for it. If that, if that's the right way. So like, if I was to think of what I was trained to be a trainer, like you said, uh, uh make about your, um, your keynote or whatever it was you were doing they asked for an agenda and more bullet points less pictures but when you're trained as a as a speaker or a trainer it's it's always less writing more pictures mm-hmm. like and that's it that's end of you know the more pictures you do and, the, and then you talk you want them to be engaged on you and not the slide but actually what if the room is completely not set up for that and like your example i would be screwed because mine just my my keynotes are just pictures and then I'm talking because I want them to listen to me. But the industry is not set up to that. I'm not trained for that. I feel, feel like we're kind of not ready for this kind of system, even though things are, I know, again, just um, to annoy you again and say Myers-Briggs, but I know you're not similar to that. But, you know, stuff like this has been out for a long time. But I feel like yours has gone that little bit more work focused. And I feel like maybe we're not we're not ready for it or we are ready. I don't know if ready is the right way to say it. Well, it yeah, I mean, I would say that that's, some of the challenge we've had in building this business. I mean, if we, if we would have said, Oh, let's go get Myers-Briggs certified and go do leadership consulting. 
Um, we probably would have had an easier time getting clients right away, but that's not what we did. And so people are like, eh, I kind of want your new thing, but I don't know if it's going to work. So I'm not going to spend money on it. I'm going to watch you guys for a little while and see how this is going. So, um, I would say that, yeah, you're probably right. It's new. And so people are watching to see if it's going to work first. You know, there's, there's those people that will buy the, the new Apple watch first, um, but there are less of those than the people who wait for the like the second and third generation, make sure they got the bugs worked out. So um, I, I think we're getting there though. There's It seems like we do a lot less explaining about what we do when we talk to people or why it's valuable and a lot more uh, uh, telling folks how it works and how they can engage with us. So I think it's we're getting there. Yeah, and I think it, you've mentioned Myers-Briggs, which is great. So I, I feel a little bit of a need to explain why it is different. Myers-Briggs in the sense of, yes. you know, if you think about a, a training as an example, you've got 25 people in the room. Myers-Briggs has 16 personality types, right? And trying to figure out how to modify your training <laughs> to, to work with 16 personality types is way too much. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the same way in business. Let you used a huge multinational, let's say Amazon for an example. You can't figure out in a, gr- a team of 100 people what 16 personality types are there and what you're going to do to support it, which is why I think to this day, even though there's a lot of interest in Myers-Briggs, like 20 million people have taken the assessment, it doesn't really most of the time change how leaders work with their people. Okay. And I think it's because of that critical, way too complex, like you take um, some of these individual self-reflective assessments and you get a 30 page report about all of the needs that you have and whatever. Well, what we're saying is that is far too complicated. We're not saying don't use it ever. We're not saying it's terrible. What we're saying is you can't use it in a tactical day in, day out, strategic view of your company situation. So what we're saying is for you to look at your training team and saying, you know what, I might have chaos people and order people in here. And I need to think about those two differences Mm -hmm. instead of I have 16 different personalities in here. Or I have in a, in a huge team, I have four different types of people in this team. How can I make sure that it's not that I'm going to give Meg only independent tasks if I'm the boss. It's I'm going to make sure that she has a little bit of that because I know that like, work is work and you got to get your job done. But if you, if you thrive on a little bit of chaos, that I'm going to try to find a way to make sure that we have that opportunity for people that, that need it. Right. So that's the difference. The real difference is that we're not saying you have to create this thing that works for me all the time perfectly. What we're saying is be aware of who you have on your team. And if you're smart about how you leverage that knowledge, you can make your life, their life, the company's better instead of figure out like a lot of leadership stuff I've read is like know each individual person on your team. Well, if you got a team of 500, there's no way you're doing that. And so how can you work if you have a huge organization? How do you balance what everyone needs? Well, it's by understanding the buckets that you have. If 85% of your people are stabilizers, then make sure that that's what you're giving them an environment they can thrive in and then make an opportunity for the 15% other. Mm. And so I think that's the big difference is that we're trying to take the complexity that has previously been trying to get inserted and taking a step back and saying, what's practically applicable for a leader today. And I think that's the big difference. 
No, I like that. I I agree. I mean, I, I must have been. I must have done so many of those Myers Briggs or the disc, the disc profile. Is that the other one? I think they're the two I've done, time and time again. And I just think, you know, what? you don't do anything with it. You, you, you give me a report, the six pages with a bit of fun at the beginning that says I'm Yoda or R two D two or right, right. Uh, some Disney character, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. Um, I think I got Simba actually. I got Simba in one of the tests, which was oh, cool. Nice. I liked Simba. Yeah. Um, but but we don't change how we work. But then when when we had our first conversation, I remember coming away and thinking, Do you know what I liked about it was it was simple. Is it you know when you were saying that. You know, or this person likes instructions. For me, as a safety professional, that is perfect to be able to say, "Why well, you've got ninety-five percent of your people here? They prefer to be told how to do some instructions, etc." Um, okay, cool. Let's write them instructions then. You know, right. or ninety-five percent of them prefer to just kind of work it out themselves. Okay, cool. Let's let's create an environment in which they can. I like I like that. I like how simple it was. Um, okay, we've been talking for a long time, so. Um, if people like it as much as I like it, there's loads of links in the description, but like, how do we get in touch with you? Do you do any work in the UK or anything like that? Or, or how can I get the book and stuff like that? So a little uh, plug, I suppose, on uh, you guys and your business. Uh, the book is on Amazon. Um, it is on amazon.uk .uk also. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so we, and we have the book in hard copy and Kindle and uh, it's on Audible. So you can get it in any of those places. And uh, we don't have any clients in the UK right now. So if you want to work with some really fun Americans, I uh, <laughs> would love to give us a buzz. Uh, you can find all of our contact information on our website. We're of course on all the social media platforms. Um, uh, what are they all? Instagram. I love social media. Nah, <laughs> as an independent, she could give a heck less about all of it. Yeah, so Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Probably, I'm the most active on LinkedIn. I'm on ever all. I'm on all of it. But um, the other thing I'll I'll just plug is the way to get more of us because you know uh, brighten your day uh, is we ha we do a weekly live on our we have a Facebook group that's free. You have to request access so we can moderate the crazies in there. Um, but it's IX ambassadors. And if you just Google that or search that in Facebook, we have a Facebook group and every Wednesday we do a half hour live about leadership topics. We have a, I'm just, I'll just hold it up. I know, I guess I don't have to hold it up because this is a podcast. Um, but we have a it's planner video as well. Oh, it's on video. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll hold yeah. it up. Um, <laughs> so this is the, um, this is our, we have a, a 2020 planner and every week we have a topic, a quote, um, and, and so we're going to be tying our IX ambassador to the book and to the, to the planner. And so every month there's a different theme, every week there's a different topic. And so like this week we're talking about succession planning, um, in an organization that's later today. And then we do that live Well, you guys will be asleep or be late in the evening. So, but we record it and we, and then you can look at it whenever you like, and all, all of that is on our internal page. And there's, we have just shy of a thousand people in that group. So um some engagement a lot of stalkers um since we're on video oh i don't have my book candy i was gonna show off my book but it's a uh, ix leadership and um yeah and we're around we work in canada we have a sales team where actually two of our uh, sales team are in the uk and so we're really looking to aggressively expand um and over there so we'd love to love to work with you awesome 
Awesome. I'll um I'll check out your your Facebook group as well. I'll see if I can put. I haven't got the link to that, so I'll get it and I'll put it in the uh, yeah we'll description it for people as well. But there's uh in in the description, oh, I could I stole it from was it Shelley sent a, a load of links over. And there's a couple of keynotes. I think one from each of you in there as well, so people can go check that out on YouTube. Um, but yeah, we'll put all them in the description as well. Thank you awesome. very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Okay, people. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to those two. They've got that real amazing kind of positive American attitude. We spoke to them before the podcast, obviously, to kind of understand how we're going to have this conversation, etc. And I enjoyed that just as much as I enjoyed this. Two amazing people doing amazing work. Uh, really love what they do. Um, so definitely check out all of their other content that's linked in the description below. Definitely kind of look into their book as well, or the Audible version, which is very good. Um, and... If you like this podcast, you think of three people that will benefit from this, then share it with those three people. You don't have to share it for everyone, just those three people. If you really like this episode and you listen on iTunes, give us a rate and review. We really, really would appreciate that. It helps us get into other people's ear holes as well. So if you do that, screenshot it as well and tweet us on all of our social media. So we've got Twitter, which is Rebranded Safety. I've got Facebook on rebranding safety, me on LinkedIn, James McPherson. Comment below if you're on YouTube on how you think this and understanding your people more has blown your mind and how you think you're going to use it in your career going forward. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I'll catch you next week. Safe. everyone you're looking for something a little bit different for your next digital or physical conference business event safety event how about health and safety's first and only youtuber go to www.rebrandingsafety to get rebranding safety at your next event or email me at james at catch you later safe